how many, how many, you know, just love being a kid? Raise your hand. You just love being a kid. I mean, I just remember being a kid again. That's right. Now you're getting into the next stage. Okay. Um, but I, I remember being a kid and part of it is because there's no accountability. There's no bills to pay, right? You know, you kind of in some ways have rose colored glasses on as a child. Well, as a kid, no work yet. As a kid, I, I remember one specific night. It was on a, uh, it was on a Friday night, actually. And my cousin Nathan, my best friend cousin Nathan, and I were the same age. We were juniors in high school. And we decided that we were going to go fishing down at the Snake River, which is kind of uh, southwest of Nampa, Idaho. Everybody knows where Nampa is. And so southwest of Nampa, Idaho, there's the south hills or the southern hills, we called them, you know, kind of small mountains. And we went to the Snake River and we took some sleeping bags with us. But let me tell you something. That night, it was so awesome. I mean, the temperature was perfect. We just had jeans on and T-shirts and and we didn't get into sleeping bags because the temperature was perfect. We we laid the sleeping bags out. We laid on top of the sleeping bags on our backs. And we had our fishing pole in the, you know, the water or the line in the water. And we had the fishing pole between our feet so we could feel if the big catfish was pulling on the line or not. But we were laying there on our backs that night. I mean, it's the kind of night that you can only experience when you go to the mountains. I mean, it was absolutely, perfectly, wonderfully clear. You had the black palette and you could see every star that was in the sky. It was beautiful. It was about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, and the wildlife had calmed down, and so there was hardly any noise from wildlife. And we were in a part of the river that was deep and wide and smooth, and so there was just a gurgling, a bubbling of water. I mean, that's all you could hear. And we're laying there on our backs looking at this spectacular sky. And then all of a sudden, Nathan and I, we see the streak across the sky. No, it was not Santa Claus. That's not where I'm going. But we saw the streak across the sky. And it was a shooting star. Now, I had uh, I had never seen a shooting star before that time. And so, I mean, that was just cool. So Nathan and I, we just started talking to each other about how awesome that was. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the conversation, bam, there was another streak across the sky. We later on learned that that was like one of the most, um, what would you say, more shooting stars in one night, like in history or something. We counted 27 shooting stars that night. Again, the wildlife had calmed. There was hardly any noise. The beauty of the celestial skies. And it was a silent night. That was the best night that I could think of as I was getting ready to talk this morning. I'm trying to imagine what was that night like when Jesus Christ was was born I mean, we read about it. We remember the story in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. That's our text this morning. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. And you have that image in your mind and you understand there, of course, is the animals and there's the, the manger there in the barn. And, of course, Joseph and Mary. And so we have this image in our mind. And we, we just remember that. And of course, there is no room for him, no guest room for him to read. But I propose this morning that that, that was the night that the world stood still. And all of nature paused in awe of the presence of our creator who was now flesh. The kind of pause, you know, that parents experience when that baby is born and they're waiting to hear the baby cry for the very first time. And there's this anticipation and there's this moment of silence. And yet the the cry hasn't happened yet. And so you're hoping for the cry. You're hoping for the the sound of the baby's cry to, to pierce the silence because it represents life. 
fact, my wife and I, we, we, uh, Heidi allowed me and the doctor allowed me to deliver our third child. And I remember, you know, Abram, our third child coming into this world. And I remember that, you know, that catch, that feeling, that, that desire to hear his cry, to know that everything was fine. It's, it's that kind of pause. The kind of stillness that anticipates life, a life that bursts on the scene, a stillness when broken feels like a, a splash of supernatural emotion. And when we think about the words of this Christmas carol that we're focused on this morning, which is silent night, I think of that kind of anticipation of waiting for the birth of the baby Jesus. In fact, listen to the words of Silent Night. You have it there in the bulletin and on the screen here for you. Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Round young virgin, mother and child. Holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. <laughs> I liked it when I heard about a brother and sister trying to sing the song and the sister corrects her little brother. It's peace, Tommy, not peas. Peace. (laughs) It's interesting (laughs) because when I'm silent enough to really hear heaven, I mean, whether I'm praying or whether I'm in, in meditation or maybe even exhorting the word as I'm doing now and I'm waiting to hear from heaven. It's interesting that when I am silent enough to hear heaven speak, the result is always peace. It's always peace that God brings brings to us. Truth be told, when I think of the night that Jesus was born and what it meant for mankind, whew, I get silent. I mean, as we were reflecting upon that, I just want to become silent. Silent because of Jesus' humble beginnings, really. I mean, that's kind of my first thought this morning. Silent because of Jesus' humble Beginnings. I mean, think about the wonder of that first Christmas night where it's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the world is born. I mean, Jesus Christ left heaven and all its infinite glory and chose to be born as a human baby on earth. I mean, imagine this in his infinite power and wisdom. What he chooses is he chooses not to be born in a city or in a palace, but he chooses to be born in a barn. I love the way that Philip Yancey frames this, the incredible humility of Christ as follows. In fact, this is so important, I do not want you to miss not even one word as he writes about the humility of Christ. Listen to this as I read this quote. This is Philip Yancey. He writes, I remember sitting one Christmas season in a beautiful auditorium in London, listening to Handel's Messiah with a full chorus singing about the day when the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. I had spent the morning in museums viewing remnants of England's glory, the crown jewels, the solid gold ruler's mace, the Lord Mayor's gilded carriage, looking toward the auditorium's royal box where the queen and her family sat. I caught glimpses of the more typical way rulers strode through the world with bodyguards and a trumpet fanfare and a flourish of bright clothes and flashing jewelry. Queen Elizabeth II had recently visited the United States, and reporters delighted in spelling out the logistics involved. Her 4,000 pounds of luggage, (laughs) can you imagine? Her 4,000 pounds of luggage included two outfits for every occasion, a morning outfit in case someone died, 40 pints of plasma, and white kid leather toilet seat covers. She brought along her own hairdresser, two valets, 
and a host of other attendants. A brief visit of royalty to a foreign country can easily cost $20 million. In meek contrast, God's visit to earth took place in an animal shelter with no attendants present and nowhere delayed the newborn king but a feed trough. Indeed, the event that divided history and even our calendars into two parts may have had more animal than human witnesses. I think this morning we'd all agree that Jesus Christ had had every right to be celebrated as royalty. That that God, when he became flesh, that that he he chose this humble way. And I mean, if, if, if only we could represent that kind of humility to mankind in our lives. I mean, if only we could be the kind of example that Jesus Christ was. I mean, if only we could humble ourselves and we could live like Christ because we say, yes, Jesus Christ was born and Jesus is coming. We agree with that. But I'm wondering how well do we manifest that reality in our lives When we are living our life out and trying to live that Christian life so that God might be glorified. And so, yes, I am going to say this when I think about the birth of our Savior. I am silenced. I am silenced by his holiness. I am silenced by his goodness. I am silenced by his forgiveness because he pours it out upon us willingly. I am so silenced by his mercy. And I'm humbled by his presence. To think about what it means when Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, was born. Silence because of his humble beginnings. But yet there's another thought I want to share. And that is silent because Jesus was content with being born in a stable. So that we could have a mansion when we die. (laughs) And so familiar with John 14 too. When Jesus says, in my father's house there are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. And I go there to prepare a place for you. That I might call you to be with me. That you might be where I am also. You see, there is this promise that there is this place that he is preparing for us. And we understand that. But yet, you see, the greatest evidence of that truth and that reality is the evidence that he becomes flesh. I love the story of... Uh, of a Persian king who ruled long, long ago. He was very wise. He was a good king. He loved his people. In fact, he hurt when his people had hurt, and he was burdened when his people were burdened, and he, he cared about those that were less fortunate and poor. And you've probably heard the story of this ancient Persian king that decided to dress up like a beggar, to dress up like one of the paupers of his kingdom. And he'd do that on, on somewhat of a regular basis to be able to relate to, to those that he was king over. And so he tells about one story when he does that. He dresses up as a beggar and he finds himself in the cellar of one man. Who he, it was his house and it was cold and there was no place for a fire and there was just this coarse hard food. And he talks about, you know, eating the same coarse food as that man. And sitting cold in that space, that cellar with that man and and how he liked that man. And he thought, man, I could be friends with him. Well, the king goes back to his palace and puts his, you know, normal garb back on. And some time passes and he realizes, I want I want to be friends with that man. And so he goes back to the cellar, to the poor man's home. He says, it's I, it's your friend, the king. What would you like? And and the man said, well, what do you mean? Well, most people, they want gold or they want money or they, they want something, some favor. And, and, and he looked at the king and he says, man, I, I don't want any gold. I, I don't want any money or, or, or jewels or anything like that. He says, you've already given me what I really want. You've already given me what I desire. And that is you've given yourself to me. And I can't help but reflect upon the Savior who came to us. 
you know, who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and a, a king that came to us in the flesh in that very same way. And he gives himself to us. <laughs> I resonate with that, especially when I think of the history of this this Christmas carol that we're focusing on this morning called Silent Night. In fact, this hymn's history is the source of some disagreement. Some say it's folklore. Some say, you know, it's pieces of truth that we pull from the story of the history of the hymn. And, and it's a story of the two men, Moore and Gruber, who, who did the writing there in Obendorf, Germany. And, and it was Christmas Eve when they'd come together in a, a little country chapel. And, and they'd gathered there in the chapel. And they're going to sing and lead the little crowd in their Christmas carols for that Christmas Eve service. But they only, they get there only to find that the organ is not working. The, the organ is broken. And some say in the folklore that it was maybe rats that chewed through some of the apparatus or it was rusted and it rusted out. I mean, whatever it is, it was broken and it was not working. And so what they do is they sit and they quickly begin to pin something that they could sing without the organ and without the instruments. They pin something that would, would allow them to worship the king. And so they pin Silent Night. They pin that and they sing that song. And it's interesting that in the circumstances that they were in, in the circumstances of brokenness, really, comes a spectacularly beautiful Christmas carol that we sing called Silent Night. And it's interesting and maybe not so much so because it's exactly the same way that Jesus works, that he comes in our brokenness. He comes in our emotional brokenness. He comes in our relational brokenness. And he comes in that brokenness. And Jesus comes and he begins to heal. And he begins to mend. And Jesus begins to do a wonderful work in us when we come to him. And we recognize that he is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. And he is our savior. He will bring healing. He'll bring restoration. And listen to this. He will take what is broken. And he'll make it beautiful and spectacular. And wonderful again. Silent Night reminds us of this. I want to invite our servers to come. Servers, won't you begin to move this way? And I want to invite us, before I have you stand, just remain seated for a moment. They're going to get into place. But as we prepare our heart this morning for Christmas communion, I want to invite us to bring our brokenness to the Lord. We bring our brokenness to really the cross this morning. And as we remember what Jesus did for us when he became flesh and then grew as a man and gave himself on Calvary. That he did that so that we might be healed of our brokenness. And so as we come and receive the, the sacrament, I invite you to come and you'll take it back to your seat and I'll give you instruction. And we'll partake together. And as we partake I want to invite you to prayerfully just listen to the voice of the Lord as you enjoy this Christmas Sunday morning. But it's possible there's brokenness that's in your life and you need God to heal that brokenness in you. And I want to invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to do that this morning as we partake of the Holy Sacrament. Let's stand together. Let's stand. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite these two sections to exit towards the center here. In this section, you'll return back this way. In the section over here, of course, you'll return back this way. The section over here, you'll exit to your left, return back this way. This section here, you'll exit to your right and return back this aisle here. So let's do that. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Jesus, for coming, becoming flesh, dwelling among us. We've seen your glory, Lord. We know you're the healer. 
We know that you're merciful. We know that you're forgiving. And Lord, it's possible that someone has come here today and they need your touch. They need your healing touch for that broken part of their life. And so, Father, I pray for that prayer. I pray for that one that is saying, Lord, I need your touch. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you did. We are reminded of that silent night when you were born. We thank you for that. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.